0: All right, all right, all right, all right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I will figure it out. There we go. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to VUX World at the slightly, I would say, I want to say untraditional time, but uh, that's of course because I'm where I am and Guy, you are where you are. So this is perhaps actually mm-hmm. for you in Australia more of a traditional time for doing this kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> uh, but, <laughs>
0: But, uh, but those listening and tuning in, if you are on LinkedIn Live, if you're on uh, YouTube, appreciate you joining us. If you're on the West Coast, it's well past your bedtime. It's probably about 12 a.m. for you there now. Uh, what time is it for you, Guy, at the moment? Five, six?
1: Just, yeah, just on 10 past five in the afternoon. So we're, we've are we clicked over to spring. beautiful. So I'm kind of staring down the barrel of a western sunset, which is really quite pretty. And apologies, I'm in the bedroom. Don't and question what happens in this room, but I can see that outside is looking good.
0: (laughs) Nice. That sounds good. That sounds good. Uh, So usually when I know that we've been chatting on and off for quite some time Mm. now, and I appreciate you, uh, appreciate you joining us on the show, which was originally lined up. Can you believe it for, I think it was like July, 2019 when you were at Versa?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that's, um, Obviously, the world has changed. The world has shifted. Everyone's world is very different. But yeah, we um, had originally sort of talked around trying to get something going then. But look, my life from, a I suppose, a career perspective has changed quite considerably as well. And the main thing for me was bouncing out of my previous world, which was Versa, which was wonderful, um, and then moving into Talk Fire, which is definitely got hallmarks into what, what I've kind of previously built, learned, worked on in, in, in my time at Versa, but equally... The big kind of difference is there's there's a different stream of opportunity or work that we're kind of undertaking over there which is down the path of building out a sas product which is quite interesting something that i've not done before so there's uncharted territory so um i don't profess to be an expert in that part of the world but bringing some of the knowledge that i've kind of gained and built along the way as it relates to executing projects but then kind of weaving that into what what we feel is appropriate on the customer side, as it relates to Seth, and obviously this session, we'll we'll talk about more of that detail. But yeah, a few more gray hairs and wrinkles because of the journey, and that's partly because I can't get to a hairdresser get my hair chopped. Uh, but I feel your pain. It, it, oh my gosh, it's like it's it's business up front, but it's party at the back. I can tell you. <laughs>
0: Uh, and I, I, I've, I don't know if you actually see it here because I've got, I've got the, uh, the, the lights a bit different, but yeah, I, I have since developed a couple of grey strands. Uh, I put that down to a, a wild, crazy dog and a wild, crazy child. Uh, I think that that will probably put grey hairs in in most people's beards. For those of us that have beards, uh, or hair, for those of us that have hair. Uh, so I'm I'm okay. drinking a cup of tea right now, as I tend to do at eight in the morning. Uh, but right. most of the time, I mean, we usually chat a bit later than this. But but you're usually uh, you know round about that kind of time it is time for a beer or or a barbecue or a whiskey. I know you're a fan of whiskey. So what what's the tipple for this evening?
1: Oh, you know me well, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm. Because I'm in the bedroom, I don't normally keep a, a liquor stock up here, but um, <laughs> I might have to send a note. It's awful. I might have to send a note for someone to bring me up something. But no, I'm, I'm running on empty now, which is good. But no, it's all good. Send, send the PA. That
0: sounds That's good. Right. So, so we'll get into talk via. We'll get into. Uh, it'd be nice to talk about some of the stuff uh, that you were doing at Versa as well, because I know that Versa were one yeah. of the kind of really early agencies in in Australia. Uh, working in, in in voice and voice assistant specifically, um, yep. so and then also it'd be nice to to also get your thoughts on going from that service based model into what is now a product based model and. What mm. your kind of learnings are there as well, but maybe first let's just let's just kind of start from the beginning, and you know, do you want to tell us a little bit. Well, firstly, let's yeah. let's start with Talkvia. Let's start with your current role, head of innovation at yep. Talkvia. What does that yep. entail? What does Talkvia do? Give us the yep. the lay of the land as, as far as that's concerned. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. Look, Talkvia is an interesting business, and in in how I sort of came to land within the organisation, I actually met the team in my time, I've known the talk by guys for probably the better part of four years or so. Um, And for me, it was an interesting one where what I originally saw was a a wonderful story where the founder, a person called Ray Guy, he's got a background in building really high-end solutions as it relates to security and payment solutions. And he decided um, at one point in life, in in his life rather, one of his colleagues, a, a, a friend that he was kind of engaged with, um, who was, uh, what's the right way to describe it? Had a, a vision, um, a, a vision in, in parity. And one of the things that he decided that he wanted to do was to help his mate be able to navigate experiences online. So the concept of being able to reduce friction or being able to add value to navigate websites to kind of, you know, make it more of a frictionless experience comes from almost from the heart, from Ray, which is lovely. And so Ray said about building. Um, I suppose a, a, a suite of tools, it's probably the easiest way to describe it, um, that helped his mate be able to navigate these experiences online. So when I first met Ray, they had come up with a solution around scraping websites to be able to be um, providing conversational value to these experiences. Um, and they built a proof of concept, which I experienced was, I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it the most um, high fidelity, but it was functional, fit for purpose. But they were basically able to scrape the Domino's website and interestingly that was one of my first experiences that I worked on in terms of building a voice uh, experience period and they were able to pull that um, UX and, and actually add a layer of voice to that and I was like oh that's pretty cool but it was just as I said the early days and we're talking as I said sort of and a bit maybe five years ago actually um, that that level of fidelity wasn't quite there but how I then got involved with Talkvia was when I had finished up with my time at Versa, I was um chatting to Paige Harkness, who is one of the kind of development leads for TalkVire. And back then the business was known as Alkira. And it was that they had chosen was very different to what they were. And they were looking at building a SaaS solution. Obviously, and in terms of, you know, voice flow, voice there are some interesting solutions available in market at the moment, but, but the one big thing that they came from was more the accessibility side of things, trying to unlock uh, the value to make it easier for people to build these experiences. And anyone who's kind of jumped under the hood and looked at an SDK, it's kind of not for the faint hearted, you know, you kind of need to strap yourself in for the ride and read and understand and learn and talk to people. So in many respects, it's it's a bit like the old days of what you know, mobile apps were in terms of like building. That they were quite, and they still are to an extent. They're quite complex. They're quite um, confusing. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the the whole idea with Talk via, and I'll talk about the streams in a second, is that um, the SaaS solution is designed to make it far more easy and accessible for people to build a voice experience and to add a layer of surprise and delight to what they might normally deliver. And when I say deliver, mainly the people that we're talking to are in that sort of marketing space. They're marketing managers, people who control a bottom line, like a budget, they need to be pushing out content to a multitude of channels. So we're not we're not positioning the SaaS solution as being this kind of thing that's going to overtake the marketing world, but rather it's going to be complementary to the wheelhouse around what they're actually already doing. So they're probably going to be building a website. They're probably going to be building an app. They're probably going to be doing an outdoor or an above-the-line campaign. So logically, voice has a role to play. And again, we're not talking about it being a massive chunk of that wheel of comms, but rather it still has an interesting role to play. So talk via, as I said, there's kind of two streams. One is a bit like the old world as to what I know from my days at Versa, which are engaging directly with clients, with customers, with brands, with marketing directors, et cetera, to be able to build those bespoke solutions. But then equally... It's also on the SaaS side, enabling marketers, people who want to actually develop these things themselves and be able to manage those things within their organization. So they're very different entities, but they, they, they're very much hand in glove. We, we get the SaaS opportunities off the back of the consultative pieces. And there's, excuse me, there's a lot of running on the ground to try and get these things. And I'll talk to you know the fact that we've done some research here as well there's still a big uh, educational piece in market to tell people what these experiences are, how do they add value, what can they do, etc. So, yeah, okay. We'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about this during the session.
0: Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's interesting. It's interesting that that kind of that journey and and specifically the the element of trying to make these tools more accessible, because you're right, and I think that part of yeah. the part of the um, challenge for those kinds of brands who are looking at this technology from a, from a marketing perspective is that because for a while there wasn't and hasn't been a tremendous amount of tools, certainly tools that would allow you to do whatever you want to rather than, yeah. you know, some, some, some tools have features, and then amazon et releases releases new features and therefore those tools need to then support those features and so there could be there can be a bit of a delay sometimes in in, in getting kind of to grips with some of the newer features and stuff like that mm-hmm. as well and just as well as just some of the features sometimes of of a given platform or a given tool might not necessarily have what you kind of need it to do and and then also you've got a lot of brands who want kind of ownership and you know it and security and stuff like that not really happy of sometimes with with going for a third party to want to build stuff themselves so all of these things in the last few years has has meant that for those that want to do something they need to basically mm-hmm. build it themselves but when you build yeah. it yourself or when you get it built by somebody there is inevitably going to be a lot more cost there because everything needs to be built from the ground up and it's not going to be something quick and simple and so sometimes uh, voice solutions have almost been, or, or when I when I say voice, I'm talking about specifically voice assistance solutions yeah. for marketing purposes, have ended up being fairly pricey over the years. Is that something yeah. you've observed in Australia? And is that something that you yeah. think Talk via can help with as such? Not that it's I'm not saying that it's cheap, but it's going to be a lot quicker to do something yes. with a tool like Talk via than it is to build something from the ground up, basically.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's a bugbear. You know, I've, I've got Scottish blood and the, the one thing that really frustrates me is having to spend where you don't need to spend. Um, and, you know, that, that was a big bugbear in terms of being able to go out and speak to people commercially to say, if you want to build something, it's going to take you three to six months and it's going to be fifty hundred grand or whatever that sort of number looks like. And equally, exactly as you described, Kane, um, we may be able to draw on certain libraries, you know, certain builds that we've done before to repurpose content and so on. But inevitably, you are you're not necessarily starting from scratch, but you, you're kind of, you can't, you know, file, save as, dot new experience. Like it just, it's not as simple as that. So mm-hmm. that became a real commercial barrier to entry because everyone wants, especially in a marketing context, generally because voice is relatively new, you know, I'd call it probably one of the newest realms as it relates to marketing, and especially in a digital context, is that people want things relatively quickly. You kind of get there and they go, oh, yeah, we should, yeah, we should definitely put voice into the mix because it totally makes sense. And they recognize from a value perspective that it's not they're not necessarily going to retire off the back of the additional revenue they might generate from voice, but there's still cachet associated with doing something that's relatively new in market. So it became a frustration in my time at Versa. You know, we were going out, pounding the pavement, talking to brands, building wonderful experiences. But you're right. I mean, they were relatively expensive in the scheme of things. And we, we were able to repurpose some materials, some, you know, libraries and so on. But when it came to Talk via, it's like you want to spin up a project, great. You want to spin up a project that might be on Alexa or on Google, might want to do something on Siri, flip it to WhatsApp maybe build a bit of bot experience. The whole concept was very different. The radical idea was to centralize the conversational experience and not as simple as press a button, but the idea was to be able to push out that experience in a multitude of conversational realms. So, you know, we're at this kind of, I would call it like a bit of a precipice now where we've got the SaaS solution, we've got some beta testers, we've got some brands on there, both locally and internationally. Uh, we've got some projects that are being spun up really quick we're talking days to get something done and delivered in market whereas you know the quickest stuff i ever worked on might have been 30 days with you know lots of hours lots of gray hairs lots of midnight oil <laughs> extra beers lots of cups of tea in the morning just to kind of get through whereas by contrast we talk via what we're seeing now is that we can have a wonderful meeting in the morning and deliver a surprise and delight you know that afternoon or equally what's possibly more important is that the client or the customer is empowered to be able to do that themselves. They don't necessarily need a consultative organization, whether that be Talkwire or any other kind of conversational business. They're actually able to jump in there under the hood, not in this, the spooky world of SDKs. They can actually do something that's relatively easy um, if they want to get something off the ground. So the big thing that we found at Talkwire um, was that the concept of building a proof of concept um when you need to deliver, you know, upstream, it it's a wonderful moment because voice is still ethereal. Like it's not like a white t-shirt. If I tell you what a white t-shirt or you, you've got a vision in your mind, if I tell you what a conversational experience for Ford Motor Cars is going to look like, you'd be like, oh, I'm not quite sure how to envisage that. So mm. proof of concepts become invaluable tools to be able to deliver that initial surprise and delight. Find the marketing director's pen, get them to sign off something that actually delivers you know, that kind of impactful moment for, for customers, which is, which is cool. It's a, it's a, it's a different world to what I've been used to over the last few years.
0: Mm, interesting. That is interesting because there's, there's a number of different elements of education required, isn't there, for everything to kind of come together to a brand wanting and committing to doing something. First of all, they need to yeah. be educated on the, the growth and the opportunity that exists on those channels And then to empower them to do something themselves, they need to be educated enough to understand the basics of what these voice applications are, how they work, uh, and the kind of things that you need to do to create something. And so we've probably skipped the first bit, which we'll get to, because I know that that you've got the the study that was done, which was the education on market adoption. But seeing as though we're on the topic of empowering clients, are you finding that, the The clients that you're working with have an understanding of what these applications are and how they're built and therefore they're able to use the tool easier. Is the tool built in a way that makes it so that you don't have to have an understanding of that Do you need to do some kind of onboarding or education around conversation design all that kind of stuff how how do you how do you get to the point where a client is empowered to be able to use mm. the tool to produce this stuff
1: yeah look it's it's a the easiest answer is that there's no uh, surefire way of kind of rallying up everyone into a, into a box, I suppose. There's going to be different levels of understanding, to your point, education, you know, proficiency, technical proficiency to an extent. Also desire, you know, like some people are really interested in just spinning up something super quick, low fidelity, sorry, low fidelity, have a good meeting in the morning and want to kind of, you know, show someone something in the afternoon. So what we're finding is depending on, I suppose, who's picking up the phone on the other end as we're doing outreaches, uh, or conversely, as people are kind of coming into this world, is what are, what are they trying to achieve? Like, is it is the use case around trying to deliver something upstream to kind of either maybe educate a team? So as an example, we're doing a lot of work with the media agencies in this market and through APAC as well, educating them, A, on what a voice experience could be, what it is and what it could be. Equally, what are those surprise and delight moments? So we're kind of going down particular verticals. So, for example, if it's financial services, you know, what value could that be? Is it like making it a far more frictionless experience as it relates to fin services or if it's a FMCG or a CPG brand, for example, it's like, well, how do we add value to an existing campaign and maybe do something that's going to provide a different level of cut through. So there's still a big educational piece required, which is wonderful in the sense that, you know, there are certain people in this market, you know, yourself, you know, there's Dustin, like there's certain people over, you know, other parts of the world, you know, um, really like educating the broader community around what what it is. As a digital marketer at heart, I still know that there is a job to do in terms of getting the message across on what voice or a conversational experience can can deliver. I mean, in its in its simplistic form, we're still talking very fundamentally around utility, providing genuine value and what we don't necessarily <clears throat> excuse me, want to build experiences that, you know, like live for a brief moment, they can still provide value but value is still what is going to be the under. I, I do find as well, you know, from a talk by a team perspective, when we're fielding those, you know, commercial conversations or discussions is there's there's definitely a lot of information that needs to be passed on to other people in the team to give them an understanding around, again, what it is, how it works and add value. And equally, that's how we've landed on, you know, the, the kind of the JV that we've done from a research perspective with Commercial Radio Australia um, we recognize that they've got a massive audience, which is obviously every radio, every smart speaker in this market. Um, but equally, the level of sophistication as to what consumers can do in that space, we're still chipping away on what that can be. So, yeah, that, that report was it was a really good eye-opener about who's doing what, what do consumers want, what are they actually doing with a smart speaker, how many smart, spe- smart speakers exist. Um, what type, What sort of things are they doing and look you know it, it was also I, I learned very early as well in my time at Versa we ran a similar kind of research piece to understand what the market was doing and how people were engaging with these devices and I think the big thing to now understand is that smart speakers have kind of nested or I might even go broader than that like we're not talking necessarily about smart speakers per se but more the concept of delivering you know like a voice assistant experience and the one thing that I've, I personally I think is going to add massive amounts of value, and I think this will translate over the you know around the world. If you look at the world of automotive, where a conventional experience has been baked into most of the major uh, vehicle manufacturers, we, we're going to be conditioned very soon to be able to talk quite freely, and we'll expect that we'll be able to talk quite freely to more inanimate objects. Which sounds a bit abstract in theory, but I, I I really feel that within the next sort of twelve months or so, as we start to see not just your Mercedes-Benz of the Worlds, um, you know, not just your BMWs, like your high-end kind of luxury arms, but as it gets baked into more pedestrian type vehicles, your Fords and Toyotas, et cetera, which is starting to happen, um, we're gonna be demanding that, that that just that concept exists. And you know, I think, you know, Kane, you and I have spoken about this, is that um uh, you know, my, I've got two kids who are 11 and 8, and they both con- they are absolutely conditioned to having voice in the house. And when we transitioned from moving to Melbourne to Sydney, a lot of our stuff was kind of boxed up, and we had, you know, voice voice here, but we were so used to having voice in the lounge room, in the kitchen, in the bathroom, in the girls' bedroom, etc. And very much when we came back, and we we were lost without our devices for four weeks. Like the girls were talking to weird objects, asking for a result set, and you're like, "Dude, that's a normal speaker. It's not a smart speaker." <laughs> so, you know, as as a as a very basic litmus test, you know, it's kind of like once you play it around, once you're used to it, once it's kind of nested, excuse the pun, into your world, you start to get quite conditioned uh, around utilizing the experiences, which is. Mm which is cool, but it's sort of slightly terrifying knowing that you do get conditioned relatively quickly if you start using it quite often, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My my son uses – so we've got the Echo Show in the kitchen, and that's just basically become his telly. Whenever he's having food or anything like that, he always wants this on. And he knows you can talk to it, but he doesn't know that there's a wake word associated to it, and so he'll just shout, stop. When he's ready and when he's finished or whatever like he'll just shout stop. So and, and he's getting to the point where he starts to think that everything with a screen is you can yeah. just talk to it. And he's oh, and he's, yeah, yeah. Three, he's three year old, <laughs> so it's yeah. like if anything is a measure of what what's to come, it's obviously usually yeah. the younger generation that grow up with certain habits and then those Agreed. things manifest themselves more broadly, don't they? So it's uh, it's so interesting Agreed. watching him there. Yeah. Agree. Um,
1: yeah. And it's, it's a bit like I had a mate many years ago and it was a bit like when iPads first came out and that expectation, you can just wander up to a screen and just like pinch and pull. And, you know, his son, I think was two or three at the time and he, he had a magazine and he was just, you know, like trying to pinch and pull into the magazine. Like, dude, it's not a screen. It's just, yeah. but yeah, you're right. At an at an early onset, you get used to certain things. So totally get it, it.
0: is. It is, and I, I've also come. And this is probably this is probably bad to admit, but um, I've probably there. Was, I've used screens so much yeah. that in what this was ages ago. I noticed that this was years ago. I noticed that I, I had a book, and I knew for a fact there was something in this book. I can't remember what it was now. I can't remember what book it was. Yeah, but there was a piece of information in this book that i wanted to find and it was just an absolute nightmare because the book's this thick and i'm just and yeah. i have no idea where the thing is and as i'm flicking through in my mind i just went control f and i just felt like just control in just to find where i where i wanted to be it was just mad like i thought i could literally like search for a word in a book it was like yeah i think that yeah. was yeah using using too many screens but uh, <laughs> but, uh so, yeah. so 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 yeah. So so we started off there we started off talking about um how how kind of brands are educating themselves and how you're educating them um, and we'll get into some of the study stats because there's some interesting stuff in there but first we've got uh, Andre Alcantara uh, I think he's down yeah. here the neck of the woods actually I um, know Andre hello mate uh, now then uh, another challenge is marketers don't know how to integrate voice into their digital strategy you mentioned yeah a minute ago that that, you know, you're seeing, you know, if, if, a, if a if a brand is running a campaign, which has got some above the line stuff, some social stuff, they're building the landing page, email campaign, and you were talking about voice becoming part of the mix. Are you yep. finding there's yep. a, a gap in understanding in terms of how to make that happen? Are, are, are brands thinking about it as part of the marketing mix? Are you still needing to find ways to integrate it? Like, what's the... What's your thoughts on yeah. on Andrea's comment around people struggling? Yeah,
1: uh, look, I agree hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I think Andrea's totally nailed that one and I, I, I subscribe to that line of thinking as well. And I think that's where, you know, the concept of building out lunch and learns and I've, I've done one with Andre, you know, and and like I, we, we kind of know we're, we're in the same realm. So, you know, like there is a real big job around telling people what it is, how it works and how it adds value. But equally, you know, there have been a few projects where I've kind of embarked on where the use case hasn't been quite right as in the knowledge set on the client side or the customer side hasn't been quite there as well. But I say that with absolute respect because I, I understand marketing having been a digital market, that's where I've kind of cut my teeth. Um, but equally when you land on, and I'm sure Andre and Dave's on this as well, like we've all been in that position where a client or a customer is fixated on building something and they just know that they want to do something and you can't change their mind. And you know as a marketer that just ethically it's not going to work. Yeah, I could take the money, wonderful, and I could you know whack it into the revenue pipeline, that's wonderful, but it's not going to actually do the job from a marketing perspective. So I definitely agree with Andre in terms of like how to actually – what is that role of voice or the conversational role, if you will, um, for the experience? and And it's also – what we try to tell people is that you don't you don't necessarily have to deliver like the the kind of Olympic moment to begin with. It can be something that you toe, dip your toe in, you try something, if it works, that's wonderful. And maybe you build upon it's the concept of like an evolutionary proof of concept, kind of test and learn, you see what works. And especially now, you know, what I'm what I'm finding commercially in the market is there's massive amounts of opportunity to build. Um, experience c- conversational experiences in the world of pharmaceutical, in the world of medical, especially now and particularly here in Australia, where at the moment we're kind of at this, you know, pretty pretty awful end of COVID, where we're sort of hemmed in in different states. I don't I don't know the percentage of people who are locked in at the moment, but it was more than fifty percent a while ago in here in Australia. I know it's very different over the other part of the world, but we're definitely seeing in that world of pharmaceutical. Can we? connect consumers with healthcare professionals? Can we connect them with GPs? Of course, there's massive amounts of red tape as it relates to HIPAA compliance, governance, um, you know, um, legislation, you know, impediments. Um, And I know they talk as well just in terms of the tech, you know, the telephony solutions that exist in market, what you can and can't do. Um, But, yeah, again, back to Andre's comment, like the, of, of, of the conversational experience, there still is a big bashing around the hand of people. And I again, say that with respect, you know, doing those lunch and learns, providing the things of, you know, you know white papers, the research, the consumer data, like all that sort of stuff still has a role to play. And the thing as well that I think is really killer with, with voice is that inherently because you're devoid of visual stimulus, apart from say this, right, where we're sort of interacting and we've got a screen and so on, unless it's multimodal, if you're looking at like a pure voice experiences, voice a voice rather, it's like when you pick up your phone and I see stuff and I know that I've got apps and I've got you know notifications and so on. I can visualise that. Whereas in the world of voice, consumers are still being conditioned to having to um, remember, you know, some of those experiences that they might have enabled if it's on Alexa. Like, what skills have I got if it's on a system? What brands have I interacted with? You know, or conversely. And that's why we go back to utility. We want to try and create something, that memorable moment. I'm actually using a branded experience that's d- delivering value and something that I want to go back to today, tomorrow, this afternoon, share with friends, you know, that talkability. That that speaks miles as well. You know, there's a, there's a lot in that. But, yeah, I think Andre's comment is, is bang on. There's still a big let's jump on a soapbox. Let's tell people what this thing is because not every marketer is it is adept in the place, you know?
0: Mm, mm. And and this the the report that you've put together uh, will go somewhere in educating people, I would imagine. And for those that haven't seen it, we'll definitely put the link in the in the show notes and on the website after this. Um, but essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, but it is the Australian equivalent of what people might be familiar with, which is the uh, the report that NPR tend to do. Every year, which is the Smart Audio Report, which gives you insights yep. into things like smart speaker adoption, use cases, you know, consumption of audible media, that kind of stuff. Uh, was yep. was that the aim? Is because it's said Edison Research is that the same company that does the 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 one for NPR? I and mean, was that oh, the look, was that actually, the idea was to try and do a similar kind of thing, but purely for the Australian yeah. market?
1: Yeah, exactly. And look, to be fair as well, not dissimilar to the piece that I worked on in my time at Versa, where you know we we. Did a bit of a very proactive piece around what people are doing um you know how how often they're engaging with a conversation or in this particular piece of smart speaker or conversational experience um what we were trying to do i suppose in in the early days was to from a versa perspective establish ourselves as being you know an early organization understanding the space and trying to provide value you know as i said my background is is digital marketing building websites and apps and building strategies for people. and so we very much centered the, the report at that time around a, an educational piece and i suppose the big difference now with what we've done in partnership with edison um, and with commercial radio australia is to extend that you know i suppose deliver more of a, a contemporary this is what's happening now Snapshot around the australian landscape but also, you know, I suppose from a talk via perspective, we recognize that Australia is, a, by comparison to the rest of the world, may not necessarily represent all of the organizations that we want to engage with at a commercial level. So what we've done is we've, sort of un, we've tried to build the report to give value to this market, but also our goal is to be able to take the talk via platform offshore as well, not just deliver it to an Australian consumer space and a commercial space, but also to be able to take that over to the APAC region, but also working with partners in the US around being able to empower brands and marketers over there. So in some respects, we've kind of done this level of research that helps us here and helps us establish the Talkwire brand. Um, because, you know, in my time at Versa, we were a very recognized recognised organization. We had a lot of different projects under our belt, and at Talkwire, you know, we've absolutely built a number of interesting experiences for brands locally and internationally. I wouldn't call it the same physical amount of experiences, but that's because we're kind of hemmed between de- de- uh, developing the SaaS solution but also on, on the um, the consultative side of the business. You know, one's kind of feeds the other. And the ultimate goal for us as an organization and looking at the research as well is that we want to be, talk via, we want to be in a position where we can deliver, you know, high fidelity consultative experience that are conversational and conversational across Alexa, across Google, you know, building stuff out in, you know, in a, in a bot type experiences. Um, even, you know, uh, Dave uh, Flanagan and I, um, at one of the Google pieces last year, I think it was just before we went into into our original uh, lockdown, you know, we were at a Google CCAI discussion. And so from a talk via perspective, we're still having those consultative discussions around, Will via provide value around trying to help customers through a contact center experience, and you know Dave's got reams of experience in that space. Um, you know, working directly with the telephony partners of the world, Genesis, which which is where he is now. Um, we're we're into that space as well, probably not to the same degree as to what Dave is, but what we're finding is that the research piece, like what we've done with CRA and Edison, helps us open a door to unlock discussions with. You know like the marketing teams or the digital teams again as andre suggested as well and be able to use that as a bit of a wedge to have an open discussion to say well is there something that you're missing like yes you've got a wheel of digital communicators that you're pushing out whether it be a website or an app or above the line or whatever but does the role of voice have a role to play well here's the research that actually validates or gives credence as to why you should actually consider the space and here's what the consumers, is, you know, kind of doing on the space. Like they're asking for, you know, stuff whilst they're doing chores, you know, they're kind of doing workouts or watching TV and they're using a conversational experience to provide or add additional value to what they're doing. Like we know that they're like, you know, the vast majority of the time they're using these devices um, or having a discussion with, you know, assistant on your phone, for example, like a, a lot. Like, you know, there's 88% of smart speakers using the device their owners rather a week you know there's as i said this report there's a whole bunch of stuff that's in here that kind of gives credence as to again what it is what consumers are doing what they want what they agree to etc so the whole idea with this report was just to make sure that when we're having those commercial discussions we're actually you know leveraging from research that's current that exists that validates the ideas and the line of thinking it's not just a A pie in the sky concept that we want to kind of build out. We've actually got some real data points to kind of um ladder up to, you know? Mm
0: -hmm. Interesting. And there's there's a lot of stuff in there's a lot of stuff in here that um people in maybe the EU, possibly in the US, would it would ring true to them from the, the adoption and the trends that have been happening in that part of the world. For example, top weekly smart speaker requests play music that's consistently up there get weather consistently up there answering a general question you know so there's some the the good thing is is that there is definitely a a tremendous amount of parity in terms of the habits that people are forming around these devices but there's also some unique things in here that is potentially specific to either Australia or APAC one which I found stood out is the percentage of smart speaker owners by uh provider so 24% of Australians on a Google smart speaker whereas Alexa is 3% so that's something that is Mm. not the same necessarily as other parts of the world I'm wondering if there's anything in here that and again as I said we'll put the link below Mm. so people can go in there and really get the details but is there anything in here that that stood out to you as as being notable uh, either either a difference between uh what's happening in us in Australia versus the rest of the world or things that uh may have may have confirmed something you were suspecting or any any other particular kind of standout things from from the report that you kind of that you've pulled out?
1: Yeah. Yeah, look, I think you are absolutely right. The the big thing that we noted was that there aren't massive differences around this market, I suppose, in terms of usage, what people are doing on smart speakers. So in some respects you draw some comfort knowing that we're kind of following suit as to what the rest of the world is doing. I still think that the, um, the big thing that comes out of this and, you know, we'll refer to the link, as you said, but you know, there's a section here that talks about, um, you know, the, I suppose the level of agreement from owner smart speaker owners, and there's a big piece here that says, and again, this comes down to education that, you know, they don't necessarily know what all the feature set, you know, of the smart speakers are, for example, and, I partly think that that is to do with the education that comes from the Googles and the the Amazons of the world to actually tell people what some of these things are that you can do. Equally, I also think it's up to the brands to be able to deep dive into it and create an experience that is memorable and it, cre- it creates that reason to return. I also personally believe that because unless you do have a multimodal experience, and that happens, like when I first embarked into the world of voice, um, you know, working with the Alexa's, uh, the Amazon teams, you know, the, the Google teams, et cetera, very much it was anchored in delivering, of course, a voice first solution. If you had a screen, that's wonderful. If it is a multimodal experience, it's there to add additional value and to be a screen first experience. But I think the fact that because you're delivering something that is in a voice first world, there's still that job to do to try and get people to come back to the experiences more than once. So. It kind of goes back to that you know earlier piece that i was describing before around utility like the big line of thinking that we had that we developed at versa and then we also you know this is what we absolutely subscribe to at talk is what is something that we can replicate from a, a usage perspective that mirrors what i do on a mobile in the sense that if i look at my smart screen sorry my smartphone rather and i look at you know the home screen of what's on my phone you know, I would say, I'd hedge a guess that probably 80% of us, give or take, are going to be the same. So as an example, very basic one. Kane. I don't know if you got your phone handy, but like on my home screen, I've got my photos, I've got my calendar, I've got the app store, I've got, because I'm a car nerd, I've got a car thing that I love. I've got Telegram, WhatsApp, messages, Facebook. I mean, unfortunately, we've just got too many. But, you know, we've got four rows of, one, like 24, whatever it is, I'm guessing maybe you've got Uber, maybe you've got Instagram, maybe you've got Spotify. I don't know. Maybe. Well,
0: actually, I have. Uh, my philosophy on on home screens of phones is that basically, I uh, uh, there's a story behind this. You can see it's kind of what's there here. Mm-hmm. Basically. Yeah. What I do on a semi-regular basis is I look in my settings to see which apps I'm spending most, the most time on or where my battery is going. And then I yeah. basically just shuffle around the whole home screen to make sure that those apps are within touch and distance of my thumb. And then the yeah. other two things is my task list and my calendar. So basically the task list and calendar is the two things I use yeah. most often. And then everything else in there, the Slack, WhatsApp, messages, phone, notes, Google Docs, yeah. Evernote, Monzo, LinkedIn yeah yeah video yeah. editing but but I th- yeah there's some similarities in there though a lot of messaging a lot of for you know typical phone sort of features yeah. and stuff but i think i'm a, I'm a slight outlier in that i regularly adjust that screen based on yeah <laughs> what i'm what i'm using basically
1: yeah and I, look I, I think you've kind of you've nailed it in a, in a in a different way but i think you've actually nailed it in, in the same way at the same time in the sense that what is what is on your screen, because that's you know that's real estate position zero, right? Like that's a bit like search. So to get to position zero, what is it? It's utility. So what's actually adding value to your point exactly, what are you like from a statistical sense, what are you utilizing most on your phone that's adding value? Whether that be entertainment or utility or whatever, it doesn't really matter. The reality is that it's occupying time. So in a Converse context, what the guiding principle for us is um, from a talk by perspective is when we're engaging on a use case with a brand, are we, are we trying to ladder up to that? What can we actually build something that is going to encourage someone to come to the experience or utilize that experience today, but also what's going to come, what's going to drive them to want to come back tomorrow. So it's a bit like, you know, what are those kind of, you know, behavioral hooks that we can kind of bake into an experience, whether it be, you know, looking at, It sounds weird, like the old days of mobile, like those kind of behavioural things that we focused on. Um, Yeah, it's it's we're going back to it. Sounds back to those early days of app philosophy. What encourages people to utilize an app today and also tomorrow? Equally, what we're trying to do is, and I I think I've mentioned this in in a previous life as well, in my time at Versa, is you know we look back at those kind of. early days of radio, like what are those behavioral hooks that are baked into those wonderful entertainment experiences that were delivered on radio that equally encouraged people to listen today but also wanted created that desire for them to come back, you know, um, t- tomorrow. So mm. we're, we're kind of using different, I suppose, psychology hooks, you know, like things like mnemonics and kind of, you know, um, sonic experience as well. Um, you know particularly well we always go with the Intel chime everyone remembers the Intel chime but you know no one you've never really heard Intel at the back of a TVC so what are those kind of additional things that we can build into an experience that make people want to you know a have a crack today but also come back tomorrow but ideally to be able to tell their buddies to say hey I had this wonderful experience on brand XYX on you know on Alexa you guys should have a play around because there's also a big problem in market is this We've got a marketplace and the marketplace is quite limited, you know, um, mm-hmm. and equally, most of these projects, and I'm sure, you know, everyone here that's on the chat can attest to discussions commercially, you can't just create an experience and just assume that people are going to rock up and just, you know, engage. It needs to be considered as a, a part of a marketing program with an attributed marketing budget. Um, equally, um, data analysis, like what are these things doing? Where are consumers dropping off? Like, where, you know, what are they doing in the experiences? Uh, do they get funneled into a CRM? How, how sophisticated are the clients? Can, can we actually break in something through an API? So, so many variables that cre- create a, a success metric or series of metrics. And look, a lot of them are quite qualitative as well. And I definitely say the early experiences that I've worked on, we kind of, we built stuff that was kind of cool. It's a bit like the early days of apps on mobile. Everyone's done the iBeer the, 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 where you can like drink a virtual <laughs> beer. With, you, know, you know, we all know that early days, there are a bit of utility as things where, where consumers are coming back off.
0: Mm, mm, absolutely um we t- so we- we're talking about education there yeah. um and no no i'm back it did go a bit flaky it did go a bit flaky uh, towards the back end there but i think i think we're all right now um yeah. so part of the education is as you mentioned brands creating delightful experiences um and hopefully it's good enough that they pass on that message tell their friends there's a lot of conversation happening in the linkedin chat here around um You know, maybe it's because, and I think this might be Ethan Richardson, but it does say uh, LinkedIn user for some reason on this program. I don't know why, but someone's mentioned Ethan further down, so I'm assuming this is Ethan. Uh, Maybe it's because uh, people are yet to really make use cases that people want, but instead they follow others and create app like apps like games. Uh, We're thinking very very differently. Um, So there's a lot of chatter here around around you know the current provision of experiences from brands perhaps not necessarily being broadly speaking um memorable as such but the brand education is only part of the equation brands creating exceptional experiences one part of it but then again in this in this report you've got things saying that you know Interestingly, it's it's saying things like thirty-three percent of uh, of users have interacted with a brand or product or service. Thirty-one percent have added something to their shopping cart, yet sixty yep. percent haven't thought to try shopping on the devices. And so, there's a mixture as as is always the case, and we've mentioned this many times before on the on the show that there's a mixture between Amazon and Google responsibility and brand responsibility. Um, so what is amazon and google doing in terms of their go-to-market in australia Uh, because as as i said most of the smart speakers in australia uh, are google smart speakers i don't know whether that's because amazon didn't exist uh for a while but in general what's Mm. the kind of approach from amazon and google being to the launch and the evangelizing of of these
1: assistants in australia yeah, look, it's 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 a it's a it's a good question. Um, you know, I definitely put it down to timing to an extent. You know, Google came to this market thick and fast, and you could pick up a Google device at your you know Woolworths, like your equivalent of a Safeway in the UK. You know, and they were super cheap. They did a wonderful job of partnering with Australia Post, with Officeworks, all these large retail brands where consumers go to. You know, and you'd kind of walk down an aisle, and front and center at a gondola end you'd see a stack of Google devices. Oh, well, cool. They're like 39 bucks or 40 bucks or whatever they were. So Google, I don't know. It's like they came out with a fire hose of like devices and just sprayed the market and it was just pervasive. So you really couldn't walk into a retailing without um, seeing one of these devices, I suppose. And the other thing as well that, you know, the telcos, for example, did a wonderful job equally partnering you know, with Google um, around delivering those devices to people who've got, you know, mobiles. So they kind of connected the dot that it's going to be a bit of a tech play, people who might be nested, you know, in smartphones. And, of course, we know, like, there are multiple devices that people have got with smartphones. But, you know, I definitely say that when the Alexa device launched in this market, it was later and it was very much playing second fiddle. And equally, I think as well, what was a challenge, yeah, was that, the, the Amazon brand was not a, a brand that existed in this market as well. So Australian consumers were conditioned with possibly understanding that Amazon was offshore, that's that funny book company in America that I just I maybe have ordered some stuff from. Um, so I'd say there's a big challenge in market educating consumers around, A, what does Amazon mean for me in this market? And equally, there was some – this is very personal, but I'd say there's a little bit of confusion. So, like, for example, you know, we've got – Amazon Prime and Prime is delivery, but then it wants Amazon Prime is a, like a TV experience or you know a, a content experience as well. So there's some mixed messages in market, and I think to be fair as well, Amazon after a period of time they really started to get that right. They started to tell the message around what it is, how it works, and how it adds value. And sorry, kind of keep going back to that philosophy. But mm-hmm. the, the Amazon team, the Alexa team in, in this market are very active in terms of going out directly to brands you know i know the the amazon guys really well like you know Belston is a mate from mine from 25 years ago so we've kind of shared war stories but equally with google it's different right so like when you try and have those you know commercial experiences with google it's harder to kind of you know get to find them in this market i found that because at my time at versa um you know it was nested here in australia excuse the pun but equally i was you know exposed To the singaporean market you know building a a division of the business over there and they were a lot more active in that space equally in the us it was easier to find people to find answers in the us um and i'd say yeah some of the things around you know tools or white papers they were harder to get your hands on we're talking like 2016 2017 which doesn't sound that long but in the world of voice it's it's decades right it's a long time ago so in, in the time that I was at Versa, like, we were building commercial experiences, working directly with the S at Alexa. And, you know, we were doing projects with the guys sure, They didn't have people on the ground. Like, they were they were running at 1,000 miles an hour to get something going. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas it was different in the U.S. You know, it was established. Alexa was known. Amazon was known. They've had that for 1,000 years. People were very conditioned in that market. So, yeah, it was... It was tricky and frustrating during the early days, um, but equally some of those tricky, frustrating bits, there's a little bit of a hangover from that. Um, but I'd say, you know, we're working super close with both teams here in this market. Um, and I'm still connected to a whole bunch of people in Singapore and the U S just to, I suppose, connect all those dots. Like not all the answers live in one part of the world. It's it's very much an open community, which is a bit like you and I, you know, you, we've been chatting for a, for a while now and, mm-hmm. Drawing some similarities around like what consumers are doing, what brands are doing, what people want, what they don't want, what works, what doesn't work. I mean, the, the, the interesting thing is that the the I suppose the reality is that in the Australian market, there's not huge amounts of differences. And I've been talking to the guys in the UAE, you know, from the Alexa team as well, because they've obviously recently launched over there. Um, and that 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 feels like a bit like what was happening in Sydney. We've got whole Day with you know with COVID lock-ins, but it's a bit like Groundhog Day over in the UAE. They've got a big job to do of education and awareness and getting brands on board and getting it to consumers. It's kind of like you need brands Mm -hmm. to be present on on the space. Equally, you need consumers and you kind of need, you need both to be symbiotic and to make it work, you know? Mm -hmm.
0: Mm, yeah, and you also you also need the community and the companies who are banging the drum, building tools, uh, and evangelizing and all that kind of stuff. And uh, you know, I, I've seen the Talk via platform. I've had a play around with it. <clears throat> I do think it's decent. It's a it's a different approach. I know there's levels as well, isn't there? There's the there's the entry level tooling. <clears throat> excuse me yeah. and then there's the the more sophisticated tooling um so if there's people out there who are interested in learning more about it maybe it's testing it out trying to trying it what's the what's the best way for them to either get in touch with you or, or to learn more about Talkfire?
1: yeah look i would love to have direct conversations ping me you know i mean my email is simple it's just guy LinkedIn. happily give you my mobile don't spam it but just please reach out directly because it, it is, it's a numbers game. And I, I see some of the comments on here from people as well. Like, these are people that I know, you know, ETA, you know, Dave, et cetera. Like, these are all people that the space and know the challenges. And we're all friends in the sandpit, right? So I would love for people who've got the experience and kind of the um, those discussions in mind to be able to jump under the hood. And tell us what, what works, what doesn't work. Happy to receive the feedback, you know, like we see this thing as an evolution. We want to push the boat out. We're seeing it as, as I said, commercially released. We've also got beta testers on there. We're generating revenue. Like we see the market as being open and look, this is not an opportunity by, you know, from a talk buyer perspective to harpoon any organizations that, you know, we're, we're kind of in, in some level of competition with it, whether it be Voiceflow or Voiceify. like they're all, you know, they're all wonderful platforms to, Got to build something on. We've just, as you said, we a different view. We're trying to empower people with a perhaps a lower a lower set of understanding of the space to give them the comfort, you know, the kind of like the tools to be able to make it less scary. Um, mm-hmm. But equally, we're trying to create an experience whereby if you want to dial it up to 11, it's like, sure, we're ready to roll. You can build high fidelity stuff in this space. If you, but equally, if, you know, I'm a 15 year old kid and I want to bounce in and have a bit of fun and do something the for mum and dad or whatever you know like we've got that catered for as well you know we recognize that people are going to grow and evolve and the platform will as well.
0: Interesting. Wicked. Well, Guy, this has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, long long overdue, but, but thoroughly interesting, as expected anyway. Uh, so I appreciate your time. Uh, thank you everyone for Thanks tuning in and joining us. Appreciate the discussion. Uh, do check out talkvia.com uh, email guy at talkvia.com if you do want to uh, experience it for yourself. Uh, and if you're not already subscribed to VUX World, please do that also. VUX.world forward slash subscribe. We do this stuff every single week, not always as early as this or as late as this if you are in Australia uh, but it is every week nonetheless and we have guests like Guy coming and sharing their expertise uh, to help you implement conversational AI in the right way so please do that. Uh, thank you Lovely. everyone for joining us and Guy it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for joining us mate.
1: Lovely, thank you mate, thank- awesome to chat, take care. Cheers.